Every week, the Orange Fizz team breaks down the five most pressing questions about Syracuse athletics. Holy cow, what a big-time defensive play! No holds barred. I paid the fool. It's the Fizz Five. Five! Welcome back to another episode of Fizz 5, a new Orange Fizz series. I don't know if we can still call it new, but I'm going to say it's still new. An Orange Fizz series where we break down the top five topics in all of Syracuse sports. That's going down in the past week with Carter Bainbridge. I'm Cameron Ezer. And Carter, there's one sport to talk about. And why are we going to beat around the bush when there's so much disappointment surrounding it? So, First, Carter, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Cam. I, I'm excited to get back on Fizz 5. It's been a couple of weeks, and I agree with you. Maybe not such a new show anymore because we've gone through our, uh, our cycle of, of talented writers and guys on Fizz who have done this show. And we can call it weekly, even though this one might be just a little bit late on the regular schedule. We had some, uh, some things come up between us, but we're here now. And we're talking some Syracuse men's lacrosse on the subject of disappointment. I mean, holy cow, these guys have just brought the house down and not in a good way. Syracuse men's lacrosse under Gary Gate right now, four and seven coming off three straight losses and things don't get any easier with North Carolina coming up on Saturday. So Cam, first of all, I mean, what's gone wrong with this team? What do you think it is? So much. I want to hone in on that Cornell game real quick because this is a team that had a 10-4 lead at one point, 11-6 at the half, and then forgot how to play defense in the second half. I've been on the record to say there's a difference between being smothering and being aggressive. And what I mean by that is in the second half, the defense was too aggressive. They left their assignments on slides. At way too many points, it was not just about leaving Cornell players open, but it, these defenders started to anticipate or tried to anticipate, okay, if the ball's in this guy's stick, we'll send a double team, right? And then that will, that will create pressure and whatever that, whoever that Cornell player is, they're going to make a mistake. That's anticipating something that's yet to happen. And oftentimes it just led to a goal. What I mean by there's a difference between being aggressive and being smothering is in the first half, this defense had no regard at all for Cornell's talent. They were smothered all over those defenders, trail checks left and right, hovering over the defenders, badgering them, face guarding them. It didn't matter. And they weren't leaving their assignments. This is a Syracuse team that has to be disciplined, especially when you're going up against the number four team in the country. Against Cornell, they weren't. Against UAlbany, they weren't. Against Notre Dame, you, you, get the, you get the point. You get the story. What's gone wrong with this team? They haven't been able to start off games well, and they finally did against Cornell, and they didn't finish it well. So to be honest with you, Carter, I have no clue what's gone. Everything has gone wrong with this team. You beat Duke at home, all of a sudden you're like, okay, so you lose to UAlbany on the road, so you're just good at home, right? You only lose to Maryland by four. You get killed by Virginia on the road. So the remedy is play at home, but then you give up a huge lead and lose to Cornell. So to be completely honest with you, is everything a proper answer? Because I have <laughs> at, at this point in the season, Carter, I have no clue what's going on with this team. Cause it just seems like everything, even when Syracuse is doing something right, they prove to the audience 
and the viewers and the supporters and the fans that they can just do it wrong the next week. So uh, is everything a viable answer for you? I'll give you that. You know, I, I don't think there's any problem with that because I really can't give you anything better. You know, I think that the, the, the caveman take, if you're a casual fan, is to say that, oh, well, this team was doomed from the start because Owen Hiltz got hurt. I don't really agree that that's why they're bad right now because, like you said, a lot of their problems are on defense. They've had inconsistent play and goal. I mean, whoever they put out in the cage is just like, you know, they're switching guys out. They haven't gotten really sustainable play from Bobby Gavin. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot of problems right now. Like you said, the defense against Cornell, especially John Piatelli, great scorer. And it seemed like he would get passes like deep in the Syracuse zone. And it was almost like a football receiver who would catch a pass and look around waiting to get hit by a safety. And there's no safety. He's just alone. Piatelli could just turn and shoot. Carter, and you could have shot it. There's no you, one to stop him. You're right. I could. <laughs> You're right. Just ridiculous big, big, big empty gaping spaces in that defense disorganized and very surprising from a um a defense led by dave petromala a guy whose defensive pedigree goes back years and years you just expected them to be a little bit better with him at the helm but i'll say this it is my strong belief that a lot of syracuse's problems this year uh, are pretty intangible. I think that they, they just come back to the mental side of the game. And the frustrating thing is we have no, no way to know that. It's just, it's just the assessment that you can try to make because when, you're, when a team starts very poorly one game, like they did against Notre Dame when they were just horrific in the first quarter, and then they blow a game late against Cornell. Obviously, Notre Dame and Cornell both ranked teams. You know, it's not like they're losing to, you know, bottom feeders. But it just speaks to me like a team that either isn't consistently ready, isn't consistently checked in, or they just don't really understand what the coaches are giving them. Like sometimes it clicks, sometimes it doesn't. I really don't know what the problem is. And I, we, we can't know because we aren't in that locker room. We aren't listening to Gary Gate draw up things on the whiteboard. We aren't listening to Dave Petromala. You know, we don't have access to these guys and we're not a player. We don't know what it's like to be on that team. But to me, that's what it looks like. Either there's, you know, a problem with organization, there's a problem with readiness, or there's a problem with leadership. And, you know, that's not something you want to bring up in year number one in a new coaching regime. But typically, if we were to talk about any other sport at SU, no matter what it is, those are the things we would bring up if the team has some good talent, but has this array of problems that's just very difficult to explain. Well, you also have to realize there you bring up talent. I think there's a severe lack of talent on this team compared to maybe the expectations from an individualistic perspective. There are a lot of players that should be more skillful in the statistical category, in the eye test category, than they're proving this season. Tucker Dordovic is the only player this season that has, in my opinion, proved himself. He's there, what, 39 goals on the season, something like that could be the first 40 goal score in a single season since, since uh, uh, Dylan Donahue back in 2015. Like he's the only guy that I've seen that's been able to prove himself. So Carter, that I think that parlays into the next question I have for you. If SU misses the tournament, which this team has to win out in order to just be eligible, right? This doesn't even make them a lock. If they win out, and they're eligible to make the tournament, then all of a sudden we these talks are almost out the window. But 
what grade would you give this season if this team does miss the tournament? If they miss it, and at this point, it it surely looks like they will because they have three brutal games coming up in the schedule against North Carolina, Virginia, and Notre Dame, three ranked teams and a fighting Irish team in the finale that has just absolutely devastated them three straight times across the past two years. So I don't see it right now. To answer your question, though, even if they go four and ten and they lose out, I would give this year a C minus. It's it seems a little high, and I know you know for a program that has such stature and such history, you are tempted to give it a lower grade, given that this would be the first losing season since two thousand seven. Is that right? Back under John Desco, the one year he had that was off the mark, I believe that's what it was. Yeah, I think so. But. At the same time, I want to look at this objectively, and I'll give you my reasoning is I really don't, even though Gary Gates, the coach, I'm not going to compare this Syracuse team to all the others, you know, going all the way through the years from when Gate was a player to the Powell brothers to all the stars they've had over the years. This is a completely new team that had uh, some large gaps in its roster left from last year with all the talent that departed. You know, we were looking at a huge fresh slate so I think success in year number one for Gary Gate, even if they weren't world beaters, would be to finish the year and look back and say, did we beat every team we were supposed to? Yes. Did we lose to basically every team we were supposed to? Yes. And for a while, it looked like they would do that. But the reason why I don't give them a C like flat for just an average season, why I give them a C minus is because they do have a couple losses where you think, I don't know how they lost that game where they did not look good. I mean, they have looked good, especially, I mean, the season opener at this point looked like it was the peak, except for maybe the Duke game at home where they did upset the blue devils. But the two losses that stand out to me are U Albany and Hopkins. I don't think anybody really expected them to lose to U Albany. Johns Hopkins at the time was ranked, but they've since proven uh, not to be worthy of the ranking that they had at the time. The blue Jays right now, five and seven on the season that was a pretty surprising loss that I think that that's opinion is shared throughout the uh, college lacrosse world so I I didn't come into this year thinking that Gary Gate was going to lift this team you know back like it was you know the 90s again so I wasn't going to grade them on such a harsh curve but I can't give them an above average grade because they've been dinged with a couple losses that you know, they really just weren't supposed to have, you know, they shouldn't have taken those. Right. I mean, based off expectations, and I think that when you apply a grade to this team, you have to base it off expectations. Just imagine, you know, a team comes in with the the worst roster it's had in 20 years, not saying that this is, but let's say a team comes in with said roster and then they go winless or win one game. Again, you're expecting that. So, you know, anything above two or three wins, all of a sudden, that's actually exceeding expectations. You give them a higher grade. I like your grade as C minus. I think I'd drop it a little lower around the D range only because Syracuse is still Syracuse, right? They still start the season ranked. They're still ranked for, for the opening parts of the season. And now they found themselves in a position that is so unfamiliar. I mean, think about this. I know that it's expanded over time only because they've been unranked for so many weeks, but in that week that they were unranked, that was the second time they've been unranked in a certain week in the past 10 seasons. So this team is still Syracuse. 
right? Like even without the, the names that I think everyone's become accustomed to and without the success that everyone's become accustomed to. And the fact that this team hasn't made Memorial day weekend for what feels like forever. I, I, there's still Syracuse men's lacrosse. Like I, I just, I still think the image and the name is there, but when you take into account the expectations were what five and nine, right? Like you, you beat Johns Hopkins, you beat you Albany. You probably weren't predicted to beat Duke. All of a sudden, one of those wins and losses washes out and you're right, Carter, all of a sudden, you know, you, you just take maybe one loss as a bad one. So the reason I'm giving him the D range is it's still an image, right? It's still Syracuse men's lacrosse going four and 10. We're still Syracuse men's lacrosse finishing under 500. You missed the tournament. All you needed to do was reach 500. And this is Syracuse lacrosse. So I'm going to land them in the D range and, it's unfortunate to put them there because I look at Syracuse basketball as almost uh, uh, maybe a barometer for the expectations we had for Syracuse lacrosse. This is a basketball team that finished under 500, but barely lost to Miami, should have beaten Miami, barely lost to Wake Forest, barely lost to Virginia, shouldn't have lost to Colgate, shouldn't have lost to VCU. Like you talk about the things that shouldn't have happened and also the close losses that shouldn't have been losses. Syracuse could have beat Maryland. Syracuse should have beat Johns Johns Hopkins if they weren't aiming for the pipe every time they were throwing the ball. Syracuse should have beaten Cornell. So the reason I'm not giving him an F, and I know that sounds harsh, is I just think the expectations are always high for Syracuse lacrosse. So the fact that you finish under 500 is so, so unfortunate. I get your point, but I'm going to throw expectations out the window now and say it's still Syracuse lacrosse. At the very least, be 500. 500 is not good. So uh, yeah, that's, that, that's my take. I see where you're coming from, but I, I just think the expectations, it shouldn't matter. The, the image is still there. So, I mean, it, it stinks because we're talking all this negative. So if you don't mind, I want to put a smile on my face, maybe put a smile on the listener's face. Well, let's talk about a team that's actually good. I mean, they did come off a loss to North Carolina, but just beat Cornell. So that's something to smile about Syracuse women's lacrosse. The best team on the hill. And if you want to argue that, please, I mean, go to our website, orangefizz.net, go to one of our articles and, and read it all over, whatever it may be. You could disagree with our take here on Fizz 5. You, you can disagree with our individual articles. I don't care because I'm willing to say Syracuse Women's Lacrosse is easily the best team on the hill. But Carter, they do lose to number one North Carolina over the weekend, but then they come back and respond with a big win over Cornell. I mean, when you look at this team, you know, what's standing out, especially in that North Carolina loss? Well, the, uh, you know, <laughs> you wanted to turn this into a positive, but for me, the big takeaway from the North Carolina game was uh, the status of Emma Tyrell. You know, I, I really, I would feel a lot better about the Cornell win and the team going forward if she wasn't uh, out for the season with an injury. You know, it's, it's just another year that Syracuse has had something like this. It was Harris Chuck last year. You know, the list just goes on and on. It, it's just like, uh, you know, Manly Fieldhouse must be cursed or something because they just keep, they keep having stuff like this pop up. And it is such a shame because you're right. I mean, they are such a talented team that is legitimately good. I mean, they got all the way to the national championship last year. And um, they looked like they could very well do it again. But I'm a little bit more nervous now than I was. Because Emma Tyrell, you know, was averaging over four points per game in 12 starts. They lose to UNC by two. 
So you figure if she plays that game, you know, plays all of it, then they probably could have gotten away with a win there against the number one team. It would have been an electric victory for them to have. Unfortunately, they couldn't have that one. They, they did what the men's team couldn't, and that was to seal out a win against the Big Red. But, you know, at this point with, um, you know, I, I would say still untrustworthy play in cage. I, I'm not sure how I feel about Kimber Hauer and uh, the goalies on that team. Um, and, of course, the Tyrell injury. I question whether they have that little extra something, that, that kind of that juice to get by, you know, BC, UNC possibly again, other top teams in the NCAA tournament. I mean, what do you say about that? You know that I could go on and on and on about the Syracuse women's lacrosse team. I was in the dome for that North Carolina game. And if Syracuse had Emma Tyrell, I'm not saying that the result would have been different, but Syracuse would have won that game. I mean, so in, in a way, so you, you did saying, just say that. In a way, I am saying, if only, yes. I, I mean, Emma Tyrell is so integral for that team, not just in the goal scoring category, number one on the team in assists entering that game. And to suffer a lower body injury, all of a sudden, not just your attacking line is belittled, but you talk about the midfield. Emma Tyrell is almost a hybrid that is really good at jumping in between midfield and attack play. One of, the, one of if not the best wingers on the team. So I'm going to make this short and sweet. Syracuse's ceiling is capped out at number three in the country when Emma Tyrell went out. And that is so unfortunate because now Boston College and North Carolina have completely separated themselves from the pack. For Syracuse, you have to somehow remedy this by turning to Emily Harris-Chuck. Had a career-high 11 points against Cornell. She has to do the same against Louisville and Albany for me to have any hope in this team and Emily Harris-Chuck going into Boston College. So my short and sweet point is Emma Tyrell suffering that injury, which is also the fifth lower body ailment that's been suffered by a Syracuse women's lacrosse player in the last two seasons that spelled an end to their season. Sierra Cockrell, Megan Carney, Emily Harris, Chuck, Emma Ward, and now Emma Tyrell. Yes, Manley is cursed. And now Syracuse's chances of making the national championship are very, very slim. That's my short and sweet point. This Syracuse women's lacrosse team had so much promise and turf denies them. That's all I have to say, which is so sad. So, so sad because this team's ceiling could have been past the roof. And unfortunately, it's not. Okay, Syracuse basketball time. Wrapping things up here on Fizz 5, a couple more things to talk about. This is a team in Syracuse men's basketball that has transitioned to youth and the youthful experience is going to take place in 2022 in the fall when this new team takes over with six new recruits but there's one position that could use a bit of depth and that's the center spot of course jesse edwards there peter carey one of the new recruits quincy ballard set to visit syracuse carter should su focus harder on Quincy Ballard as a viable option, a guy that's seven feet tall, transfer from Florida State, or do you think in order to fill that future void in the in the you know to to fill depth in the center position that Syracuse should maybe focus on someone in the class of twenty twenty three and look for another freshman? 
This is this is a tricky one. You know, we 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 looked at these questions a little bit beforehand, and we we agreed to kind of come up with our replies. This was the hardest one for me to think about. And I wrote an article a little bit about this next point. Uh, I think it was a week ago on Fizz, where, at least in my opinion, the big storyline for Jim Beheim heading into next season, what I think fans should be most interested in seeing, watching for, and where Beheim earns his money, is figuring out what his roster and depth chart is going to look like heading into next season. He has some very interesting decisions to make. But start now with the transfer portal. And this is how Quincy Ballard gets kind of involved in this. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Colgate guard Nellie Cummings was kind of the big name who hit the transfer portal. You know, we see guys go up there all the time, including but not limited to uh, former St. Peter's star Doug Eddard. Bryant, who, uh, go Bulldogs. Ended up at, ended up at Bryant, who is a, it's a Syracuse opponent next year. So get, to, get amped for that one. But... For Syracuse, Jim Beheim has hinted that he may start multiple freshmen next year. Of course, Benny Williams is still in this mix, assuming he doesn't transfer because all he's done is, you know, over the last year, half year, is telling people that he won't do that. So I believe him. Um, but Syracuse perpetually has center problems. Totally, you know, irrespective of all the freshmen they have coming in, they have Jesse Edwards, who last season was a revelation, a couple of years removed from being a pretty unprepared looking freshman to now being honestly one of, you know, the better centers in the ACC, certainly upper half. I mean, he was legitimately good, but behind him, you have freshman Peter Carey and also John Bola Jock, who, you know, just is Carter. You know, not, not a <laughs> Carter, not, not, a, not, not an option. You know, I think, <laughs> I think he and Carey are going to be battling for that backup spot. But here's the thing, getting back to the original, I know we've taken a kind of a winding path to get here. I have, for that matter. Quincy Ballard would be a transfer who would come in and probably take a backup spot to Edwards. Although the thing is that Ballard has a couple of years of eligibility remaining. Meanwhile, Edwards next season is going to be a senior. So your question is, do you feel comfortable past Edwards, let's say it's 23-24 season, with whoever it is, if, if Edwards leaves, are you comfortable with a mix of Carey and, uh, you know, a jock or whoever else that year? Ballard would still be in that mix, but at the same time, it's not like he set the world on fire at Florida State. He scored 38 points in 36 games under 150 minutes. That's not his too bad. Not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm a good mathematician. 38 divided by 36 is over one. So it's, it's not horrendous. You <laughs> it's know? bad Carter. It's, it's, it's really yeah. bad. You know, I can't, I can't really put a bow on that, but <laughs> you know, Syracuse, I think from last year probably should have learned their lesson that they can't bring in transfers and just plug and play them and expect them to be, you know, great additions. Every single guy they brought in last year had some kind of flaw that limited their game that we never saw really improve. Cole Swider, you know, inconsistent from range, which was his thing. Jimmy Bayheim couldn't quite physically stack up with some of the better ACC centers. And then Samir Torrance, good passer, couldn't shoot. You know, that's a, that's a tough thing to have with a guard. So Syracuse, if it's learned its lesson, shouldn't look at Quincy Ballard and say, here's a guy we're going to start in 23-24. Peter Carey doesn't really pan out. If John Bolajak continues to do what he's doing, 
and Jesse Edwards leaves and you don't do anything else because it's not like they have any center commits in the pipe that they think are reliable at this point, at least for commitment, then you're sticking with Ballard, who at this point is a pretty unknown quantity. And it's not like he would play much this year. So to me, you've got to try harder on the recruiting trail and get someone from the high school level who you can develop in your program, not have to rely on Quincy Ballard, who's coming over from Florida State, to try to play in a much larger role than he ever has because he would be sitting the bench mostly this year and then probably thrust into into a starting role if Syracuse can't bag a center, which they haven't really been able to do on the recruiting trail since, what, Rakeem Christmas back in the day? So to me, even though I just said recruiting centers has been tough, they've got to step up their game and try it. They've got a couple kids that they've offered, including Isaiah Miranda, Papa Conte in that class. They've got some guys, four-star talents, guys who are highly regarded, who they could try to secure. It's not like they whiffed in the class of 22, far from it. They got some pretty talented guys in that class. So I say, you know, step it up, hope for an encore performance and fill out that depth in that position. And it's not like Syracuse didn't try this past year. I mean, Donovan Klingon was – uh, was a foot in the door, right, in, at, into Syracuse until he ultimately chose to stay home and go to UConn. And then Kyle Filipowski, I mean, Syracuse was on his radar, but of course you're going to take Duke over Syracuse, especially because if Mark Williams chooses to to leave, and I, I don't, I do not, do not quote me on this because he might have already declared. I'm not 1,000% sure. Then Kyle Filipowski is the starting center for one of the best teams in the country. Quincy Ballard shouldn't come to Syracuse. If he does, there's a high possibility he just leaves the next season. So if you're Syracuse, yeah, keep pushing the recruiting trail, especially because you just got six recruits after a 16 and 17 season. What does that tell you if Syracuse goes 20 and 12, right? What, what is it, 22 and 10? All of a sudden, now you have a successful program. More recruits are going to want to come, even with six recruits already coming in. Just continue to fill that center position. There's no reason to, to try to not, and this team is going to try to get Quincy Ballard, but there's no reason to vie so hard after Quincy Ballard, especially because what was he upset about at Florida State? He didn't get playing time. Jesse Edwards is easily going to play 30 minutes. What, what's the difference? Quincy Ballard can't play the four. This isn't a stretch four. He's seven feet tall. He's going to clog up the paint. Quincy, there's no reason for Quincy Ballard to come to Syracuse. Now, as a Syracuse fan, I'm not complaining. Quincy Ballard would be a great backup center. I don't think he wants to be a backup center or he would have stayed at Florida State, right? It's nicer weather down there too. There's no reason for Quincy Ballard to leave, but he chose to leave because he wants more playing time. He's not going to get it at Syracuse. He's going to take up a roster spot. It'll mean absolutely nothing for this team. You're barely going to see him. I think Syracuse focuses on the recruiting trail, especially because it proved so vital in this past class. I think that's the easy answer for it. Um, I mean, as much as people are, are so, so excited to possibly get the Syracuse native back home, I, I just, I, I don't see why it matters. I mean, I, I, I understand your point and that's why I'm agreeing with it because you'll, you'll give the, the long-winded answer about, about the, the recruits and, and who's out there. I mean, I'll give the short-winded answer of there's no reason that Syracuse should be pushing so hard for a backup center when your starting center 
could have won ACC most improved player if he stayed healthy for the rest of the season. So, yeah, I, you go class of 2023. I think you even go toward class of 2024. See what Peter Carey has to offer. You know what I mean? Okay, quick one to wrap up Fizz 5. Carter, way too early breakout candidate for this year's football squad. After seeing what you've seen in the, the offseason, you could say the post-offseason or the post-spring game, whatever it may be, we're kind of veering into – summer ball and then what's going to happen in the fall give me a way too early breakout star sure you know we're in kind of a weird situation right now with Syracuse football where we are very far away but we've seen a little bit with this team I've actually got two for you I've got one offense one defense one I think pretty conventional the other one may be a little bit of a surprise so with this in mind and reflecting on the last couple years Christian Jackson was it in 2019 it was Garrett Williams Sean Tucker in 2020 take your pick Marlo Wax in 21, I would say, was kind of the breakout guy that year. Of course, a lot of guys had good years. But in this season, the 2022 season that Syracuse will open up in September against Louisville, I say for the offensive breakout candidate, it's Courtney Jackson. Whoa. On the offensive side. That's, that, is not my, that is not my unconventional pick, sir. There's that another is the one- pick? That's my defensive guy, I think, may be a little more surprising. But Courtney Jackson, who else is going to, you know, fill out the receiving room for this team? Are you going to go with Damian Alford? Are you going to well, go with CJ Hayes? The, the, the tight end room? I mean, maybe. But I kind of liked what, what Jackson was bringing to the table by the end of last year. He led the team in re- uh, receptions, yards, touchdowns, added a punt return touchdown. I thought he improved as the season went along. I mean, including he was in a wide receiver room that I would say disappointed. Of course, the team, you know, changed to a run-heavy offense. They can't really blame them for that. But by the end of the year, Jackson looked way better than any of those other guys, including um, Queeley, including anybody else. So, you know, now with Robert and I, the offensive coordinator, and uh, Jason Beck, quarterback coach, taking care of Garrett Schrader, I think that, uh, you know, the, the offense is going to open up a little bit. I think they're probably going to be more comfortable in this system. You know, if Justin Lampson looked like he did in the spring game, imagine what Garrett Schrader can do once they actually get there. So, you know, Courtney Jackson, to me, is a guy who, you know, may not eventually lead the team in everything, but I think he'll be a valuable player on the offense. Defensive side, I mean, I kind of went bold. I'm going to say because he flashed something in the spring game and because it's at a very thin position, I like Braylon Oliver at Who? safety. Braylon Oliver, the, You're the Louisville transfer. Braylon you know, I, I was tempted to say Stephon Thompson, the linebacker. I think that would be yeah. a, little bit, a little bit more conventional, right? Because he's playing alongside Jones. He's playing alongside Wax. But at the same time, the secondary is going to be the weakest part of Tony White's defense. I think we know that for sure. Maybe the defensive line, it has some new faces, not the linebacking core. We know that they're going to shove. But in the secondary, Justin Barron just had back surgery, right? We know that teams don't really like to throw at Syracuse's corners because they have Garrett Williams, Deuce Chestnut. And Tony White's defense uses linebackers and DBs in pretty creative ways. They have that kind of rover role. You know, they always have quite a few guys on the field in in different roles. So Syracuse is going to have to have someone step up. I don't know if it's going to be Amon Greenwood or uh, Jason Simmons or who it's going to be, 
But Braylon Oliver was a decent recruit for Louisville. Now he comes over here. And for me, if I'm going to try to take a stab at some ultra dark horse pick, you know, I'm trying to think outside the box here, Cam. I've given you my reasons. What do you say? Hey, I'm just going to give you one. Uh, and this is, I think this is uh, even more of a dark horse because in front of him in the depth chart is the best player on this team. Give me LaQuint Allen. Wow. Out of the backfield. And the only reason I say that is to protect Sean Tucker. And when I say protect Sean Tucker at all costs, the amount of times that he is going to leak out of the backfield is, is probably under 15. Because in, in any other case, you have to worry if you're any team, you have to worry about Garrett Schrader running and you have to worry about Sean Tucker running. There is no reason that you're throwing little dump downs to Sean Tucker more than three or four times a game. And that's where LaQuint Allen comes into the picture. Because I think if you can run a dual running back set and maybe put them both in the backfield, Allen's a bigger dude. He can also block. I think he adds a different dimension to this running back room, especially because everyone's expecting Sean Tucker to have over 1,300 yards next season. So you're going to leave LaQuint Allen when, you know, whether it is off a block, he's going to, he's going to slide off a block, be open, you know, for a little dump down, a little check down pass from Garrett Schrader. So now Schrader has three different options, actually four. You can hand it off to Sean Tucker. You can run it yourself. You can pass, or you have that dump down option for a guy that's blocking for you. Give me LaQuint Allen. That's the one I'm going to give you. I, I think that Garrett Williams has to be the most Im important player on the defensive side for the defense to have any sort of success because he was not as good as he was in his freshman year a season ago. So, yeah, LaQuint Allen, what do you feel about that? I don't hate it. You know, when you Love first it. said that, I was picturing maybe a throwback to the freeze option days with Schrader and Tucker and the true freshman LaQuint Allen. That would be, you know, maybe something worth a try. So I, I can't say I don't like it. He was, you know, perhaps the most intriguing prospect out of that entire recruiting class, at least in the early period. I think people have continued to keep their eye on him. So, you know, I, I, I see where you're coming from and I like the pick. Hey, that, that's our way too early breakout candidate. And, you know, when it comes to way too early rants and way too early predictions, I feel like I've given enough on this episode of Fizz 5. So I think it's going to wrap things up before I get even more heated about Syracuse men's lacrosse. So, Carter, uh, we're going to say goodbye to this episode. You'll catch us in a couple weeks or so, and then you'll be entertained and in the middle by a few other of the Fizz staffers. Again, make sure you check out our website, orangefizz.net, for all our articles on everything happening around the hill. This has been Fizz 5, and we'll return next week. We'll see you then. And that's your Fizz 5. Listen next week. Subscribe, rate, and review. This has been an Orange Fizz production.